Welcome to the Rock of Ages Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Duke Backus. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit rockofagesaog.org. How many of you are thankful for the love of God? Amen. We would be nowhere, church, without the peace that he provides for us. Amen. We would be nowhere without, you know, his forgiveness. We'd be nowhere without the direction of God, his spirit, his joy, his comfort, his protection, and his favor. And the question is, is where would you be without him? Where would you be? Think about that. I just want you to kind of like meditate on that thought just for a moment. Where would you be without Jesus? For those of you that have received the Lord and, and you've, you know, received Jesus into your heart, I want to ask you this question tonight and tonight we're going to be talking about a, a word the Lord has given me entitled give me Jesus and so I, I want us to just you know if you're taking notes you can write that down or whatever but I believe that our hearts cry should be nothing more or nothing should be supreme of us desiring Jesus there should be no greater priority in your life than to know Jesus could somebody say amen but I want to take you back in your, in your heart and in your mind and just think back to the day that you received Jesus. How many of you remember that day? Amen? Come on, man. That's like, that's a celebration. That's better than your birthday party. Amen? Man, that's better than Christmas. You know, those are dates that we look forward to. You know, your anniversary, you know, you, we look forward to certain things like this. But guess what? I remember the day that I gave my heart to Jesus. That was the best day of my life. And the next best day of my life will be seeing him in glory. It will be one day inheriting this kingdom that he has promised for every single one of his children. But go back to that place in your mind and remember when you accepted Christ. Go back to that place in your heart. Some of you might have been younger. You might have been raised in a, in a Christian home your whole life. And you might have had parents that were a great example for you. Others of you might have received Jesus later on in life. You know, you might have received Jesus in your 20s or 30s or 40s, you know, later on in life after many trials or decisions. Amen? And there's even some that might have chosen to follow Jesus in the course of their success or some that have just recently chosen to follow Jesus. But here's the deal. I believe that every single one of us can recall today that we are no longer the same person that we were before Jesus. Amen? We're no longer the same person. Our, our character, our heart, our mind, our life has been transformed by Jesus. And every single day we are trans being transformed into the likeness of his son. Every single day you are being transformed. Every single day God is working on your life. Every time, like in the beginning of this service, DJ prayed and he says, ask God to, to just open your heart, to transform you, to, to take you into his presence. And it's so important that every day that's your prayer. Because guess what? We're not supposed to be the same. If we truly have a relationship with God, if we truly have a relationship with Jesus, then every single day that you walk with him, the more you're going to look like him. Amen. Every single day that you walk with Jesus, the more you should reflect him, the more you should look like him in every single thing that you do. And so because we're being transformed, because we're no longer the same, because God is doing a work in our life, that should be a testament to the power of God. 
that if he could take a sinner like me, if he could take a sinner like you, if he could take somebody that was lost and wretched and far from his plan, and just like his word says, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. If he can take any single one of us and bring us into the kingdom of believers and into the family of God, my friend, it is a powerful, powerful Lord and Savior that we serve. Amen? He's powerful, powerful. And so we can't ignore the fact, church, that the world will try everything to take Jesus away from you. The world will try everything in its power to distract you from following Jesus. And I want to get into the word quick tonight. In, in Matthew chapter 4 and verse 8, we find out that the enemy, the Satan, is literally trying to offer this same deception to Jesus. And we see that in Matthew 4 and verse 8, it says, The devil took him to a very high mountain, and he showed him all the kingdoms of the world. And all their splendor, and he said, and all this I will give to you. How many of you know, church, that the devil makes promises he can't fulfill? Amen. I don't care what anybody tells you. There's so many celebrities and people nowadays that have sold their soul to the devil. And guess what? They've sold their souls cheap because they think that money is somehow going to be the answer to all their problems. It's so sad we see that so many of these celebrities and these people that have gained great status in the world, we see them put guns to their heads and pills down their throat and needles in their arms. Why? Because only Jesus, everybody say only Jesus. Only Jesus can satisfy your soul. Amen. Only Jesus can satisfy the longing of your heart. The devil says, all this I'll give to you if you will bow down and worship me. The devil will always make a false promise for your worship. He will always make a false promise. He'll say, oh, I'll give you a person in your life. Oh, I'll give you, I'll give you, you know, money. I'll give you fame. I'll give you a good career. He'll always ask you for something and he'll, he'll offer you something in exchange so that at the end of the day, you will miss your mark. And that's Jesus. At the end of the day, you will go wayward. You will go straight towards the things of the world and not towards the Son of God. And so the enemy will always distract us by showing us great opportunities. By trying to lure us with false promises and hopes. By trying to attract us with distractions and jobs and friends and relationships and media and money. You know, the enemy's hard at work and try to make the church chase the trap of the world. He's hard at work, hard at work trying to deceive many, many people. And I believe that some, in some cases, he succeeded in the lives of certain people. And I want us to just get into this message because you know what, church? My, my message is, is just based on one thing. And that is that our prayer and our asking would be for one thing and one thing only. And that is to have Jesus. That is to have the King Supreme. Psalms chapter 135 verse 15 says, The idols of the nations are silver and gold made by the hands of men. The idols of the nations are silver and gold made by the hands of men. And I want us to declare, church, that no job, no social site, no, no you know, amount of money, no lust, no relationship, no worldly fame, 
or riches of this world or enemy like Satan should ever take the place of Christ in your life. Amen? Nothing else should ever take the place of Christ in your life. Now, that's easy to say. Amen? And so I want us to learn how to live this thing out. I want us to learn how to follow him. And so I've titled my message, Give Me Jesus. The songs that we sang tonight are, are so powerful. And songs have so much power. You know, they, they, they speak to places in our hearts and they help us recall things. And I had asked, you know, DJ to, to sing this song, Give Me Jesus. And I, I, I pray that, you know, it ministered to your heart tonight. I pray that it, it, it brought you back to a place of, of only desiring him. Amen. But I want to read the lyrics to you tonight just so you can recall them once more. It said this, I don't want anything but you. You're more than every dream come true. All of the thoughts I thought I wanted, they don't come close to knowing you. He says, now that I am yours and you are mine. He said, our love is the secret that I find I'll spend forever in the pleasure I've found looking in your eyes. The chorus says, give me Jesus. Give me Jesus. You can have all this world and you can have all this world. It goes on to say, more than silver and more than gold. You are the treasure that I hold. Now that I've tasted of your goodness, nothing else will satisfy. Amen. It says, give me Jesus. Give me Jesus. You can have all of this world. You can have all of this world. And it says, and I don't want anyone else. And I don't need anything else. For you are my one thing. Everyone say, give me Jesus. Say it one more time. Give me Jesus. Church, there is nothing in this world that the enemy could ever offer you that is better than Jesus. Nothing. Nothing. Though there's a million things in this world that people lust after, that they hope for, that they try to attain, that they chase after, there is but one name and one name alone that will satisfy your soul. And his name is? Acts chapter 4 verse 12 says this. Salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. People chase after things to save them all the time. Jobs, careers are probably one of the biggest ones that come to mind. I see people every day getting into thousands of dollars of debt to try to get a better job, to make more money, to pay off the money that they just spent. <laughs> Seems kind of backwards, doesn't it? Yeah, it is. I see people chasing careers and things because guess what? They want things to attain in this world. Oh, I need a new bigger car for the kids and, and I need a bigger house for the family and I want, I want the yard and I want the fence and I want the dog. Gotta have the dog. You see my dog. My dog is like the cutest little dude on earth. I didn't pay for him though. He was a gift. <laughs> He was too expensive for my blood, but he was a gift. And they chase after things all in the name of thinking that the thing will ultimately satisfy them. 
They chase after things in this world, and guess what? It's, it's not wrong to have a house. You know, we all have somewhere to go. Amen? It's not wrong to have a, a vehicle because that's how you got here. Amen? Or Unless somebody was riding a horse today. Is anybody riding a horse? No? Okay. So you got here in a car, and it's not wrong to have a job either because the Lord knows that we need to put food on the table for the family. Amen? The Lord knows that we have needs in our life, but here's the deal. Salvation and being saved and attaining ultimate, the ultimate gift of heaven only comes through Jesus. Your works won't get you there. Your job won't get you there. I heard of a preacher one time, and this is disgusting, but a preacher one time was selling plots in heaven. <laughs> it's not even laughable, but I'm laughing because I, I have to. It angers me when I hear things like that. He was promising people a piece of land in heaven for an amount of money. That is the most wrong and backwards thing that you could ever come up with. But guess what? People gave him money. Because people think, oh, well, he's a man of God or he's a pastor or he's some church leader. And guess what? I'm going to just throw a bunch of money at him because guess what? I need to be saved. I need to secure my place in heaven. The only way you will ever secure your way in heaven is by going through Jesus. The Bible calls him the door. Amen? The Bible calls him the gate. The Bible calls him the straight and narrow path. Amen? The Bible calls him the way, the truth, and the life. There is no other way that you will ever receive heaven's riches and heaven's glory and heaven's kingdom unless you bow down to the name of Jesus. Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 10 says, It was the Lord's will to crush him and to cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hands. Verse 11, and after he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. I want to stop there just for a second. That text also means that Jesus would see the fruit of his offering. That Jesus would see the fruit of his offering. That is the fruit of the love that your life has for him poured out. The love that your life possesses for him and the way that you long for him. That he would one day see the fruit of that. He would one day behold with his eyes and say, those that I gave my life for. Those that I surrendered and laid everything down for that they would love me in return. It goes on to say, by his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Verse 12, therefore I will give him a portion amongst the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors. You know what that means? That means he was numbered with us. We're the transgressors in this passage. Just like every one of us was hellbound and walking as a prisoner and a slave to sin, Jesus too was in the number. The Bible says that he was was he took upon himself the human likeness and, and he took upon himself the humanity of man that he would walk in our shoes. The Bible also says in the book of Hebrews chapter 4, it talks about how we have a great high priest who is able to sympathize with our weaknesses. 
That means that he lived just like you and me as a man while he was fully God. And he knew every single thing that you would ever go through in this life, every single way the enemy would attack you, every single way that people would berate you and accuse you and condemn you, all of it, he knew it. He was numbered with the transgressors, for he bore the sins of many, and he made intercession for the transgressors. So tonight, as we look at this word and see that Jesus is really above all that we could ever ask or desire in this world. And so I want to give you a few reasons why Jesus is enough. Number one is this. You can write this down. He never loses his value. (laughs) That's a good one, amen? He never loses his value. Just like the words of that song said, more than silver, more than gold, you are the treasure that I hold. The Bible calls him, church, the pearl of great price. The pearl of great price. In Matthew 13, verse 44, I'll read that verse to you. It says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, he went and he sold all that he had and he bought that field. Verse 45 says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. And when he found the one of great value, he went away and he sold everything that he had to buy it. What's the point? The point is, is that Jesus is deserving of all of our life. Amen? That we would put everything on the line and say, if, if you cost this much, I'll sell everything. If you cost all of my life and my family and my possessions and my earnings and the things that I've saved and the things that I've you know, gained for myself in this life, Jesus, if that's the price that I need to offer you, then that's what I'm going to give. Because he is after one thing, and that is to be Lord of your heart and Lord of your life. That he might be number one in everything that you do. He is not Lord if he's partial or if somehow he's in competition with anything else that you have in your life he is ultimately not God of your life or Lord of your life where you would follow him if he's somehow competing with things with spouses and relationships and family and earnings and careers Jesus illustrates and gives us this, this illustration, and, and, and given the potential, I want us to, to understand this just for a second. I'm going to read this. He uses these illustrations to, to bring about a point. And so given the potential in, in, this, in this particular instance of political instability and invasions, as well as a, a, a non-existence of safety deposit boxes, the ancient Jews at this time, they often buried their valuables. And so sometimes these treasures were abandoned. And finding one that had been left uh, uh, behind was a once-in-a-lifetime event. And so such a treasure is found that indicates the kingdom's rarity and therefore its preciousness. And so it goes on to say that pearls were the most highly valued in the first century, even more than diamonds in their culture. And so a pearl was literally like, man, if, if you found a pearl, if you had a pearl, that was the gold of their day. That was the diamond of their day. 
And so in other biblical passages, it uses pearls to illustrate the all-surpassing worth of Jesus. And so Jesus likens his kingdom. He compares his kingdom to like that of a pearl, of a precious pearl. And I want to tell you, church, that the kingdom is always about the king. Sometimes we read passages like this and we get lost and we say, okay, you know, I'm just supposed to, supposed to seek the kingdom, right? That's what Matthew chapter 6 says. We'll read it in a second. I'm supposed to seek the kingdom, but guess what? The kingdom has a king. And what is the king's name? His name is Jesus. And so in this life and in this world, you will have wealth. You will gain finances. You will gain possessions. And you will have, you know, riches and and all these things. But guess what? They will ultimately slip through your fingers. I don't know about you, but, but it, how, how many of you have ever made an investment? Raise your hand if you've ever made an investment. Now, I'm not, you know, it doesn't have to necessarily be like stock market stuff, but maybe you bought something that was valuable. Has anybody ever done that? Raise your hand. <laughs> not enough of you. Apparently nobody buys stuff. You bought something and it was valuable, right? And when you first bought it, it, it had a value. It had a price tag, right? It could have been a brand new iPhone or something. It had this ridiculous price tag of $1,200 or whatever they cost. He said, oh, but I need it, and it's only $35 a month, and I'm going to sell my soul to pay for that $35 a month for the next two and a half years. But you get that thing that you want, and it has a value. It has a price tag, right? It's $1,200, this this new shiny phone that has the same camera from last time, and it still looks the same and all that stuff or whatever. You get it, and you buy it, and guess what? Like, you go, and all of a sudden, you drop it on the ground as soon as you leave the store, and the screen cracks. How valuable is it now? Take it back into the store. How much will you give me for my phone? It's, it's broken. They're going to look at you like, sorry. You say, no, but it's broken. It cracked. Look, you know, it messed up. I literally just got it, and they're going to say, that's not my problem. Well, how much is it worth? Can I sell it back to you? We'll give you 150 bucks for it. How many of you would be angry? (laughs) Raise your hand, be honest. Why? Because you just paid a higher price, a much higher price. And now all of a sudden, because of one, you know, one accident, this broken phone has now lost all of its value. It's no longer worth what you paid for it. It's no longer like the $1,200 phone that you just paid for and you still have to pay for it for the next two and a half years. Jesus never, everybody say never. You know how they say never say never? You can always say never with Jesus. Because Jesus never loses his value. The moment that Jesus gave his life upon the cross and he was bleeding and he was hanging, he had nails pierced in his hands and he he had a pierce in his side and nails through his feet and a crown of thorns upon his life and he was marred and he was beaten and he was punished for your sins, he never lost value. He never lost value. If anything, he gained value. If anything, his price went just that much higher Because guess what? He's no longer upon the cross. Amen? I said he's no longer upon the cross. The Bible says that three days later he was resurrected and he was risen in glory, church. 
And guess what? He's more valuable today than anything that you would ever attain. You could work a hundred lifetimes and be a billionaire for all I care, and you would never amount to the value of Jesus. That's a good time to say amen. You could work your entire life and you could save everything that you ever had and you would still never amount to the value of Jesus because he is invaluable, church. He is invaluable. He is the most valuable one in this entire life. And while investments depreciate, amen, we've all had it happen to us. And while things that you've purchased are no longer worth what you paid, everything in this world will lose value. But guess what? Jesus will never. Why? Hebrews 13 and 5 says, because of this. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you and never will I forsake you. And Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 8 says that Jesus Christ is what? The same yesterday, today, and what? Forever. The second thing that, uh, or the, the, there's something that I want us to notice here and just take note of, and, and, and there's just a quick two-part instruction that that scripture gives us. So keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. We need to be free, church, from the rat race of this world. There's things that the, the world is always trying to pull us into that are ultimately trying to pull you from Jesus. Amen? They're ultimately trying to pull you from Jesus, and God knows what you need. Did you know that? God is an excellent provider in everything that he does. Ecclesiastes chapter 5 and verse 10 says this. Whoever loves money never has money enough. And whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. He says this too is meaningless. What is the point? We need to work diligently like he has called you to and always know that he will provide. Amen? That is, that, is, that is biblical, amen? You know, it, you know, go to Proverbs and read about lazy people all you want. I encourage you to do so. It will change your life. All of a sudden, you're going to wake up early and be like, yes, sir, Lord, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work for your kingdom. But you, you, will, you will need to understand that even though we are supposed to be diligent workers and faithful servants unto God, Matthew 6 and 31 says this, though. So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows you need them. Verse 33, so seek first his kingdom. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. I ask the question again, whose kingdom? Whose kingdom? The second instruction that we receive is this, is to be content. Do you realize how blessed that you are? How many of you realize, like, how blessed you are? Like, we're so blessed. Like, like you know, I, I saw this video the other day, and it was like this guy was filming his dog. And he was like, you know that if you were born, like, 100 years ago, you'd have to, like, fight off wild animals to eat and stuff, you know. And it was pretty funny, you know, because it was true, you know. It was like the dog would have to be, like, you know, fending for himself out in the wild. But instead, he's got a big old bed at home, and he's got, you know, food and kibbles and bits and, you know, his water and all that stuff. And it's like we think sometimes that we're, like, oppressed. 
Because our internet's not working good. Because, <laughs> you know, our, our phone's messed up. We're like, oh, man, you know, uh, you know, life is just the worst, you know, and the car sputtered a little bit, and we think that, you know, we've got it so bad. But I want us to realize tonight how blessed we are and how much we have. In comparison to other parts of the world, we would be of elite status. Did you know that? If you went across the world being a, a thousandaire, I was talking to one of our, one of our guys from Ghana, uh, a, a while back, and he was sharing with me, uh, like, it was the craziest conversation. He was telling me, he's like, you know, doctors in Ghana, like an actual doctor, like, you know, they went to school for like 10 years of medical school, and they did the whole thing, and, you know, they got their, you know, masters and, and all that. Doctors in Ghana would make what's equivalent to maybe about $20,000 in the U.S., in Ghana. $20,000. Yeah, everybody's eyebrows went like, I'm a doctor, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'm richer than a doctor, you know, like, you know, all of a sudden we, you, you, you compare it, you say, how is that possible? And there's differences in the economy and all that stuff. What's my point? The point is, is you are so blessed. You are so blessed. You don't even realize how blessed we are, church. We don't realize sometimes how fortunate that we really are. But even more than the blessings, the material things, the possessions, and the things that we have, you are a child of God. You are a child of God. And with that alone, you should be content. Amen? With that alone, we should be content. Galatians chapter 3, verse 23 says, Before the coming of this faith, we were held in custody under the law. It's just locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. It says, so the law was our guardian until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. And he says, and now this faith has come and we are no longer under a guardian. It says, so in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. Amen. How many of you have prayed and you asked Jesus into your heart? Amen. It says, now you are all children of God through faith, for you were all baptized into Christ and have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, neither male and female, for you are all one in Christ. Christ is the all in all. Ephesians 1 and 13 says, and you were included in Christ when you heard the message of the truth. The gospel of your salvation. It says, when you believed, you were marked in him with a seal. Who knows what like a seal is? It's like a stamp, right? He says, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Love to say this, but it's so true. If Jesus did not do anything else but save your soul. He's already done enough. Amen? If Jesus didn't do anything else but save your soul, he has already done enough. And I have to bring us back to this place, church, of recognizing our desperate need for him. Our desperate need for him. Because there's times where we accuse God and we blame God and we somehow get into this, you know, hissy fit with God. Because, oh, well, I prayed for something and God didn't do it. So, you know, now all of a sudden I'm bent out of shape towards God. 
I'll become accusational towards God. I'll become, you know, you know, angry with God and bitter towards God. You know, and all the time, Jesus is like, hmm, I owe you more. I owe you more than my life. Because that's the game that you're playing. That's the game that we're playing when we're saying, oh, well, this, Jesus, until I have this, then you're Lord. Until you grant me that prayer, until you fulfill the desires of my heart, then you're Lord. In the book of Luke, he, 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 talks, to the, he talks to the people and he says, listen, anyone who looks back, anyone who goes like this and takes his hand off the plow is not fit for my kingdom. What is he trying to say? First of all, you cannot plow a straight row if you're looking backwards. And second of all, he is is challenging your allegiance to him to say that, listen, I am going to be everything that you need or I'm nothing at all to you. So you will either follow me with your eyes focused and locked on me and you won't look to the right or to the left, but you will be sold out for me and I will take care of you. Do you trust me? And if you do, then follow me. That's a serious allegiance. Amen? That is a serious, you know, you know challenge. That is a serious, you know, you know, asking where he's saying, listen, I am all you need. I am all you need. I am more than enough that you will ever need in this world. And the relationship that he died to give you, church, it will never lose its luster and it should never lose its value because he will never fail you. He will never fail you. Remember that word, never? He will never fail you. The second reason why Jesus is worthy, the second reason why we need him is because he never washes or fades away. He will never fade away. In this life, there's a lot of things that are going to fade away. Amen? How many of you have ever had a car that faded away? You know, had a pair of jeans that faded away. You know, you, you have things in this life that you get, you attain, and all of a sudden they lose their luster. They lose the value that they, that they first, you know, captured your eye with. Our homes, our roofs will fade with the sun, with the heat. Our properties could even be swept away by a flood water or our yards could be burned and faded by the heat. But my friend, Jesus will never wash away. And Jesus will never fade. Jesus will never lose value in anything or in any way. In Isaiah chapter 40, verse 6, it says, All flesh is grass. And all its loveliness is like the flower of the field. It says the grass withers and the flower fades. It says because the breath of the Lord blows upon it. And surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flower fades. But the word of our God stands forever. Luke 21 and verse 33. Heaven and earth will pass away. How many of you know there's going to be a new heaven? Did you know that? It's going to be a new created heaven. It says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will what? Never pass away. 
And the trap of the enemy is this, is to get us to believe that somehow the anxieties and the cares and the stresses of life and the pressure to keep the business going and the stress to keep the family fed and all these things, he wants you to focus on all of those things instead of the Savior. He's always trying to pull your attention from everything else but Jesus. Matthew 13 and verse 22, it's the parable of the four soils. Many of you know this story, but verse 22 is very specific that I want to read to you tonight. It says, the seed that fell amongst the thorn refers to somebody who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word and they make it unfruitful. What's happened here? Their attention was drawn towards something that was inferior to Jesus. And when your attention is not on Jesus, all of a sudden the very seed that was planted in your life, the very seeds of the word of God that are being planted in your heart right now are are, are going to be unfruitful. Because somehow you allowed that seed of, of, of doubt, that seed of worry, that seed that, that you know, had you caring about other things. It took your attention and your focus off Jesus. He requires our faith. And our faith means that we follow him, that we serve him, that we love him. 2 Timothy 2 and 4 says this. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life. That he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. Does God realize, church, that you cannot sit at home every day and do nothing? Of course he does. Does God realize that you must work to provide for your homes? Absolutely. But no job or work must ever take his place. Did he not say that he would continue to provide for you? Yes, he did. Absolutely. But the focus must be on him. And this promise must be towards us that Matthew 6 and 33 says again, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Psalms 37 and verse 25, another promise says, I was young and now I'm old. I don't feel that old. (laughs) Some of you looked at me right now. You look kind of old. Pastor told me the other day, I don't know, something was wrong with one of our cameras. He goes, man, the camera made you look really old. And I was like, really? You know, I, I, I didn't realize, but he, he was like, yeah, you looked really old. And then he showed me, and I did. I looked much older than I actually am. He says this, though, the psalmist, I was young and now I'm old, but yet never, there's that word again, have I seen the righteous forsaken or their children begging for bread. Make him, church. Make him who doesn't wash or spoil or fade away a priority over the things that do. Make him a priority over all things that would spoil or fade. And continue seeking the righteousness that's only in him. Because in him, church, he will secure you to himself. He will carry you. He will strengthen you. The church of Ephesus, and I'll finish with this, was a strong church. How many of you have ever read the book of Ephesians, right? Like there's some powerful, powerful truth in there. But this church, the church of Ephesus, they did so many things well. They were like really hard workers. 
They were people that persevered. They were people that, you know, withstood a lot of types of persecution. They went through a lot of stuff. They were people that didn't tolerate wickedness. You know, when people would preach a false doctrine or some kind of false teaching, I mean, they would call it out. They were on point. They knew that, you know, something didn't sound right and something didn't line up with what the word of truth was, with what the gospel said. And so they would test the apostles and they found many people false because guess what? They knew the word. And they went through many, many, many hardships for the Lord. But the Lord had one issue with them. The Lord had one issue in his heart and he said, listen, this thing I have to call out. You're strong, you're persevering, you're good, you, you love good doctrine, you love good teaching, you're hard working people, you don't tolerate wickedness. But in Revelation 2 and verse 4, he says this, well, this one thing I hold against you, you have forsaken the love that you had at first and consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things that you did at first. I asked you a question in the beginning. Do you remember when you first met Jesus? Do you remember when you first said yes to him? When I gave my heart to Jesus, I was 15 years old. And many of you know my testimony, but maybe some, someone doesn't. And I'll never forget that my sister Eva, I always mention her. Why don't you just thank the Lord for her, please? We need more people that care about young souls. Amen. So we need more people that care about young souls. But this woman was there the day that I gave my heart to Jesus. March of 1998. Some of you weren't born. <laughs> March of 1998, I heard the gospel, and it was presented, and it was my turn. It was, it was my day to say yes to Jesus. And I went up to an altar, and I, and I renounced my sin. I renounced the very things that I knew that, that had nailed him to the cross. I realized for the first time in my life that it was my sin that put him there. And I renounced my sin before God and I asked him to be Lord of my life. And I'll never forget, you know, just that moment and that day and that time where I felt like what seemed like a million pounds of weight was just lifted off of my life. Like every burden and everything that I was carrying that I didn't even know I had on me. Amen. How many of you remember that? Like, it should have been that way for you. Like, I, I remember that it was like, man, all of a sudden I was free. I was I was light, you know, and, and, and then all of a sudden, the, the second biggest thing that I felt in that moment was a rush of the love of God. Just like a pouring into my life where all of a sudden I knew what love was and it was nothing else but Jesus. I knew that it, you know, I thought I knew what love was, you know, and I thought I knew, you know, what, what love looked like. And I thought I understood the concept of love, but I did not know what love was until I met Jesus. And in that moment, church, I could tell you one of the first things that the Lord would always make me sensitive to was just to his love. He made me so sensitive to his love that when I would hear the word of God preached, when I would hear a sermon and pastor would be preaching the gospel, and pastor was like my age back then, by the way. 
my age now, you know, like he was like 38, 39 years old, I think, and I'm 40 now. So he was almost like me. But he was preaching the gospel and he would preach. And the word, church, the word, the word would just cut my heart every time. Every time I heard it, it was convicting. It was, it was just, you know, piercing. And, and I would go to the altar and I would just lay on my face before God and I would bow down before him. And I'd ask the Lord to transform me, to cleanse me, to heal me. Because I had an issue in my life and it was sin. I had things in my heart that I knew weren't pleasing to him and all I wanted was to please him. All I wanted, church, was just to please the one who loved me more than I even could love myself. And I say this because when I read this verse and I was reminded of Revelation 2, 4, You've forsaken the love that you had at first. Do you know that God never wants you to fall out of love with him? He never wants you to lose that first love. And I'll say this because I'm not too big to admit my mistakes. But I said a false statement on Sunday. Unintentionally, not my, not my intention, but I... I don't let me lose you for a second. I said the greatest privilege we have is to serve Jesus. And while that makes sense to our soul and to our spirit, that's not true to the word. The greatest commandment suggests that serving God isn't everything, but loving Jesus is everything. Loving Jesus is everything. Loving him is everything. Luke 10 and 27. Love the Lord your God. Everybody say it with me. Is, is it on the screen? Let's read it together. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. The greatest thing that we could ever do is love Jesus. And I don't know about you tonight, but not, you know, being in love with Jesus, it will cause what he told the church of Ephesus to happen. It will cause him to remove the lampstand from its place. What does that mean? It means what Matthew 24 and 12 says. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. Sin and wickedness and the cares and the anxieties and the heaviness of life, the burdens that plague you every single day, its goal is to cause you to fall out of love with the Lord. Its goal is to cause that love to grow cold. Jeremiah 2 and 2 says this, Go and proclaim in the hearing of Jerusalem that this is what the Lord says. I remember the devotion of your youth and how as a bride you loved and you followed me through the wilderness and through a land not sown. Do you know that the Lord knows how you loved him at first? Do you know that God knows that when you first said yes to him, he remembers, church, everything. And he remembers how you were abandoned, how you fully gave yourself to him. He remembers those moments. 
And he's the only one, church, that is able to keep you accountable to that. Because he was there the day he saved you. He was there the moment that he asked you to receive him unto himself. The book of Song of Solomon says this, chapter 2, verse 10. He says, my beloved spoke to me. And it says, arise, my darling, and my beautiful one, and come with me. Our love returned is the fruit of his suffering. Our love returned back to him is the fruit of his suffering. The, the first love fruit is that hearts that only want Jesus. This is what he's asking from us tonight. And I want us tonight, if, if you need to just, you know, reconcile yourself with God because maybe the, the, the love has grown cold, then I'm going to open this altar tonight and I want just to welcome you. Or even if you're saying, Lord, I, I, need to, I need to love you more. Because right now, God, I'm just thinking about, you know, you know tomorrow. And I'm just thinking about other things that, that I have in my heart and in my life, Jesus. And I'm, I'm thinking about other things. And maybe some of you are listening and you're just hoping that the sermon will end. Listen, love him more. Love him more. Love him more. Don't be just like, oh, well, I just got to check a box because I came to church and I opened the word and I highlighted a few verses and, and now I'm good. Listen, if you're not falling more and more in love with Jesus, you're drifting away. If you're not falling more in love with him, you are drifting away, my friend. And listen, I want you to know something. With urgency, I say this in my spirit. The Lord wants you to come back to him. The Lord has is, is made a way for you right now to be here tonight to say, Jesus, I'm going to come running back to you, Lord. I'm going to come back to that place where you are you alone and you are everything to me. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. Join us next time for another uplifting message. If you'd like to support this ministry and the reaching out of others, you have the opportunity to give at rockofagesaog.org.